Hey folks, welcome to the Work in Progress podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Alan, and I've got Min, uh, Howdy. the other host. Uh, and today, I think we're going to talk a little bit about burnout. Yeah, I love me some burnout. <laughs> Not 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 the game though, right? The the racing game from back in the day. Oh, I, I love that. that game. Yeah, yeah. I actually think I grew up playing Burnout instead of Need for Speed, and I I found Need for Speed a little bit later. Funny enough, uh, both both those titles can be applicable to software. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just uh, who's asking for the who's got the Need for Speed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so you know uh going into burnout it's it's that feeling that you're just you're just tired right like you're you tired all low the time. motivation tired just not wanting to do anything and when you do do something the quality of your work suffers and you can tell you just don't care at that point right yeah did, did I cover all of that or am I missing anything? No, I think you're, I think you're spot on, man. Uh, the, one of the other things I, I kind of feel or uh, uh, signals that I look for is that when I find no joy in anything. <laughs> <laughs> and when you say anything, do you mean anything or job specific? No, I, so I, I think it leads to finding no joy in pretty much anything like, okay, uh, have you ever had those days where I know we don't commute anymore, but like maybe you're on, you're on your way home from work, either on, you know, public transportation, bus or car ride or whatever, mm -hmm. biking home and you get home and you're just exhausted. You don't even want to turn on the TV or you don't even want to like pop on a, a video game or something, whatever you would, you know, normally enjoy. You just want to lay down and maybe doom scroll Twitter until <laughs> you fall asleep. <laughs> You order that really heavy Chinese dinner yeah. <laughs> from, from Uber Eats, and you're just like, man, I know this is going to suck, yeah. but I need this right now. Yeah. It's like <laughs> 5.30 or 6, and you're like, I'm no, I'm not even anywhere closer to figuring out dinner right now. I think, all right, Grubhub it is. Uber Eats it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So so what, what goes into burnout? Like, what causes it? What are some common things? I I think that's a super broad question, you know, and I think there's, a, I guess what I would start with is there's a huge, huge element of uh, know thyself, you know, mm -hmm. in that. And unless you really pay attention and to, to, to your own uh, signals, it's really, really hard to figure out the root cause of your burnout, you know? Would, would you? I think there's an implication in what you just said in, in knowing that maybe you're causing your own burnout. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, you or... know, I think um, I, I think that that's I think that that's a very astute point. And it's not I wouldn't necessarily say you're causing your own burnout, but you are definitely a source of your own burnout, if that distinction even makes any sense. Um, let me go into that a little bit more. I think we grow 
and uh, whether or not you necessarily will recognize that, like you do grow and change over time. Your interests grow and change over time. Uh, something that was fun six months ago maybe isn't fun anymore. Or maybe you've learned enough about it that it's not as interesting as it was anymore, right? Mm -hmm. There's little subtle changes like that that might make it so that you're just not enjoying what it was that made you happy six months ago, right? Right. So that's kind of an example of like some internal change about you that everything else around you in your environment might be the same, but you're just not feeling it anymore. Right, right. But there are days where you felt like you were at a three, four, four, five, for, for whatever reason that might be, right? Um, and nothing about your jobs had changed. There were days where you felt eight nines, right? But at some point, you reached a point, uh, you reached a, a level of feeling that it just wasn't a right fit for you anymore. Yeah. Right? yeah. Would you say that that was burnout or was that just something else? I think it's a contributing factor to burnout. There's, uh, so yeah, I guess like we've been kind of talking around uh, burnout, but there, there's a lot of factors that contribute to it, you know? And this certainly was one of those because I was no longer really into it anymore and because I was kind of sort of getting bored of it, that made it so that I didn't find joy in it anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And it no longer served a sense of purpose to me. And because of that, right, it started to make it so that every action I, I started to take was very, uh, it's just very empty feeling, right? right? And so then that's when I lost the enthusiasm for it. That's when I, I just didn't feel great about anything. And that's when I just was just constantly tired, right? Right, right. I want to I wanna focus on what you just said there, sense of purpose. Yeah. Right. I, th I think that's that's kind of what I was I was hoping to tease out from from your story is <laughs> that the sense of purpose is is your driving motivation for doing anything right yeah. like you don't go and do something without some general purpose behind it right yeah. the moment you lose that purpose it kind of feels hard to to even drag yourself out of bed to yeah. do whatever it is that you want to do um, you know in in the the field in, in our field you know. A lot of times purpose is tied to whatever your company's mission is, right? Whatever problem the company's trying to solve. Right. That's, that gen that's generally your purpose. Uh, hopefully, maybe. Uh, maybe <laughs> your purpose is just collecting a paycheck. I don't know. But at least for me, a lot of my uh, positions that I've been looking for and positions I've worked at, the, my purpose was tied to the company's purpose, right? Like I don't want to work for a company where I don't believe in whatever they were working on, whatever they were doing. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, one of my driving purposes is, isn't just money, right? Um, and again, this is uh, from a position of being able to choose <laughs> which jobs <laughs> I can go into, right? Whereas, uh, you know, back, back in college after graduating, it's just my purpose was money. I just wanted, I just needed yeah. money, right? Um, but, you know, knowing that your, your purpose, your motivating purpose could change over time, you know, and obviously this is just one aspect of burnout. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about the other ones in a bit, but mm -hmm. how, how do you, how do you deal with that? Knowing that, that your purpose changes over time and, and knowing that if it changes to something that may not align with your, I guess, 
your career does that does that mean a career change does that mean maybe trying to find purpose in a different way like how how do you resolve those yes you know i've been spending a lot of my time thinking about that in in recent days weeks and it for me i I guess like the best thing that i've kind of come to with that is i'm realizing that the skill sets that i have and the jobs that i can perform are completely separate than the purposes that I want to serve or the missions that I want to further, you know? Mm-hmm. And starting to kind of realize that, I'm I'm finally awakening to this idea that I can actually go and f- just find the purposes that I want to further, the purposes that I want to serve, and then I can be really, really open as to how I contribute to that, you mm-hmm. know? What mm-hmm. skills am I actually going to do? Because, yeah, you know, I can develop. I can do some back-end development. I can do some uh, very little front-end development. <laughs> <laughs> I can write queries if that's really what you want me doing. But, you know, I don't really enjoy any of those things themselves. But they're things that I can do. Mm-hmm. Rather, what mission do I really want to serve? And then I'll be open to applying those skills, what whatever is needed, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm 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 gonna go off a a little uh, off the path here a little yeah. bit. When when you come across companies, some some say they're mission driven. Why do you think it's it's necessary to explicitly explicitly call that out versus you know just any company you know whatever market they're in and they're just advertising whatever they're doing without having to point out that they're mission driven. Like, what's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of sort of establishing that, you know, we are mission driven? Because mm-hmm. going back to my point, yeah, every company is setting out to do something. Right? Yeah. Isn't it inherent then in in whatever that company is doing that they're mission driven? Like, yeah. I'm again, this is completely off the path yeah, yeah. that we were talking about. <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh, to get your thoughts. I think that that's a I think that that's such a, a, a great question because it's subtle and and no one will really say what the reasoning is because it's 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 lodged in in somebody's thinking right mm-hmm. so my take on it is that companies that say that they're mission driven what they're really getting at is and this goes to the idea of like culture fit or or you know team fit um as is assessed for in in a lot of interviews they're really looking for people who who love that aspect of it, you know, mm-hmm. people who are driven also by mission. And mm-hmm. they're looking for people who can sort of jump into their mission and, and serve that well. It's sort of like if everyone has the same intrinsic motivation behind it, then that's really where we're going to be on the same page all the time, even through, you know, uh, drastic or difficult pivots, right? Right. And I think that that's really what they mean when they say we're mission driven. It's that by and large, most of our employees feel like they're here to serve the cause. And however we have to go about doing that, we're open to doing that. And we all understand that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks thanks for humoring me on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just my take on it. You know, I, I'm, I'm be curious to hear if you have any you know, of your own thoughts to add on to that. I think, you know, I, I agree with your your thoughts. Um, for me, when a company says that they're mission driven, I think what what they are trying to tease out is that 
the people that they want to hire are the ones that are going to recognize that at the end of the day, it's their users that they're building whatever this the software is for them, right? Yeah. Um, whereas you could be a company that's solving uh, a problem purely for profit, like with, without regard to, to who you're serving or, or how you serve the end user, right? Yeah. Um, and I, th I think I, I'd like to believe that mission-driven companies are the ones that are ultimately putting their their customers uh, at the forefront of the company. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that that's that's a really really powerful uh, realization to have. You know, especially as like as you're job searching and you're actually trying to figure out who you want to work for, it gives you an idea of what the priorities are for that company, right? And at the end of the day, you know, every company is there, every business exists, not necessarily to make money, but they do need to make money in order mm -hmm. to exist, right? Like, right. I, I think that that's a, a distinction that, like, cynicism can get the better of. <laughs> like, I don't want to, I, like, I really don't want to say that every company exists to make money. I mm -hmm. think every company has to exist, or I mean, has to make money to exist, but there are some companies out there who are just there to, to solve a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then reining it back, back to yeah. where we were before. So let's, let's assume that you are at a mission driven company now mm -hmm. and you, you have purpose, you feel purposeful, you feel like you're furthering this mission, yeah. but you're still feeling tired. What, what are some other things to look for that, that are playing into that? That, yeah. that might, and, and something I'm going to caveat onto this question that is related to your job, not necessarily yourself. Yeah, I think that that's a, I think that that's a, that's a great place to, to take this. Um, I think one of the biggest ways that that can happen is just overextending, mm -hmm. uh, especially in a mission-driven company. Some people, they, they always want to, to say yes. You know, I, I, actually, I, I want to rephrase that. It's not that people always want to say yes. It's that there is an inherent... Um, lack of comfort or a discomfort around saying no. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you find yourself signing up for a lot. You just got a really full plate. Yeah. <laughs> and that over an extended amount of time, yeah, that does cause burnout. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think one, one, one thing that has come to light in, in my purview this last, last couple of years is this idea of cognitive load yeah right? like you could be working you could just be doing whatever day-to-day -day programming whatever you're doing and be completely fine over time as you know the company asks more of you to take on additional responsibilities more uh more tasks that aren't you know part of your day-to-day -day, you're you're stretching your ability to think about these things uh thinner and thinner and i think as you you know it, it's not sustainable right right and, and so trying to do so much uh, in, in the same amount of time, the same, you know, you're, you're still operating in, within the same workday, um, trying to do so much within that same amount of time does, does get draining because then at yeah. that point, you're sort of, uh, in, in part in my French, you're half-assing uh, half, ah, half everything, right? Yeah, that's exactly um, it. And, you know, and, and, and I say that and, you know, with a laugh, but it's true, like as you get, 
spread out, your, your work suffers no matter what it is you're working on. You could be extremely good at programming, but as you get pulled off into, you know, meetings after meetings after meetings, you're, you can't focus on your work as, yeah. as much and your code's going to start sucking. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And, uh, they, you know, I'm reminded of a, um, I'm reminded of a, a, a principle in, in workplaces there's there's the manager's schedule and then there's the uh, engineer's schedule right the mm -hmm. engineer's schedule needs large blocks of time that are reserved for building context understanding the problem and then truly tackling it right mm -hmm. whereas the manager's schedule needs lots of small blocks where they can make they can have conversations make micro decisions or or communicate and then move on right mm -hmm. And if you don't understand the difference between the two, you can end up, you can end up in uh, inadvertently impacting your team's productivity just because you disrupt their schedule, their their inherent working schedule. Right, right. And so it's it's interesting that you bring up a manager's schedule versus an engineer's schedule. Um, I have a couple thoughts. Uh, I'll get to each one of them, but. My, my first question then to you is if, if the manager is, is having smaller blocks of time, making micro decisions, how do you as a manager keep track of, of the macro view, right? Like all these micro decisions are going to affect the company long-term, yeah. right? How, how do you keep that context if you're constantly switching micro contexts? Yeah. Yeah, so actually that's that's part of the that's part of what results in the manager's schedule because sometimes it might be I I, I kind of retract a little bit of that. It's not always making micro decisions. In fact, I would argue, you know, the fewer decisions you can make, the better. You should facilitate decisions being made, but that's it's a little bit different. That's a philosophy thing. Um I think it comes down to it, it comes it comes down to you utilizing those small time blocks and plugging communication holes, you know, uh, figuring out what context uh, needs to be built where and and figuring out what is missing, you know, across your organization, across all of your stakeholders. And so it's it's almost in service of exactly what you're saying, you know, establishing and continuing to hold context. It's not for you anymore. It's actually for all the stakeholders involved and all the people contributing, you know? Right. right. So it, it's kind of ironic. I I feel like sometimes I spend a lot of time trying to, to, like being in meetings, having conversations. And it's not that I'm actually learning more or building a more complete context for myself. It's actually more I'm just plugging holes for other people as I'm talking to them. Right. And then I'm 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 sort of just like crossing my fingers and then hoping that the entire unit you know works out well. <laughs> oh man, that's yeah no that that's a very good distinction to make because I was thinking you know as as an engineer and you get this like every company you work for you're you're going to have a bunch of people that are going to complain about how many meetings that they have. Right. They're generally engineers. Yeah. Right. right. Because you know. I, I, and I don't want to just generalize engineers and, you know, just say it's just us, but, you know, I, I will speak from, from my perspective that when you're working on something complex, 
you know, you don't necessarily write everything down. You might, you might be a, one of those folks who do write everything down, but mm -hmm. you know, for me, my process is I'm working on something. I'm in the weeds. I'm looking at code. I'm not writing down the design and how it should play out right. you know, on, on a piece of paper somewhere. It's all in my head. Yeah. And I'm holding this mental model in my head. And, uh, and we, we touched upon this in a different episode about how, you know, being in office, you get those small distractions of yeah. someone walking up to your desk. Those small distractions essentially just kill that mental model that I was holding. Yeah. You know, and you know, when, when you're trying to schedule meetings with engineers, just remember it takes them a, a good chunk of time to just get back into it and to, to rebuild yeah. that model. And, you know, uh, you know, tying this back to, uh, getting stretched thin, like <laughs> imagine having to go like meetings with 15 minute blocks in between meetings and trying yeah. to code at the same time. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's extremely hard. Yeah. And science has proven like humans, the human brain does not multitask or multitask, excuse me. The human brain just simply does not multitask. You can try it, but it's, it's a physiological thing. You're not going to be effective at it, you know, or you're not going to be as effective as just focusing on a single task. And so like, as much as you want to try and fit a lot of things in, it, it's just not going to happen, you know? Right. I'm reminded of that. There's a great XKCD uh, comic of that, right? <laughs> There's the guy, he's starting to look at his problem. He's like, okay, well, if the bug involves this piece, it probably has this. And this, this little thought cloud is just growing, 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 right? And then 15 minutes later, a coworker comes by and says, hey, John, what's up? And all of it just goes away. It just poofs. Oof. Yep. And then he starts <laughs> over again. <laughs> Right, right. That's, so that's that's interesting. Um, it, it reminds me of a, a TED talk I, I I listened to a while back, where they were talking about uh, long term context switching. Right, where you have people who do great works that that don't focus on their same task over long periods of time. So like think weeks or months. Like they'll wow. do something, and then they'll they'll just stop and then completely do something different. Yeah. the next week and then come back to the original problem and just blow it out because for whatever reason your brain subconsciously thinks about the problem wow when you're not actively thinking about it and so there's there's a benefit there of of being able to t take a step back from what you're doing mm -hmm. and just 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 disregard it for a little bit and then come back to it but you know in 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 working life you don't get that opportunity. You have deadlines. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so we're, we're, we're constantly striving and pushing to get something out the door, you know, within, I guess, depending on the company within a week, two weeks, right. Whatever. Uh, we don't get that opportunity to just jump out of it. And I think that lends to, you know, getting stretched in because yeah. we're constantly trying to push something out the door when we don't necessarily have the best answer for it. Yeah. Um, and then that, that, that sort of leads me into my next point about burnout too, is ownership of yeah. your work, right? Feeling that you own this piece of code, this, this, this functionality and being able to come back in and saying, I know exactly why I did that and why it needs to change. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think one huge, huge piece of burnout is as an engineer, you don't necessarily always have a choice in what you get to work on. 
you might get uh, put on a different feature. Yeah. You might get put on a different team. You might get pulled off for some other random responsibility role that you might have. And whatever it is that you worked on previously that you know yeah. needs to change and how to change it, that context is now gone, right? Yeah, absolutely. As, as, as a manager, how do you ensure your engineers feel like they own the work that they're doing? That is, honestly, that's one of the hardest pieces. And, and I'm not going to say that the onus is entirely on the manager or, or the team for that matter. I think a huge element of that is the culture that you contribute to and that you sort of uh, build from a leadership uh, standpoint, you know? You, I think part of the challenge comes down to having really, really tough conversations with decision makers, higher, uh, you know, higher pay grade than you and, and making the argument that, you know, I know my team built this piece and they are the subject matter experts on it. I think that they really are the, they should be the ones to continue that project. They should be the ones to continue building on it advancing it in whichever way that we want or 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 making the exact opposite case right mm -hmm. that was a one-time thing we got the job done but we we don't really feel like we should be the ones that own that long term I'll, i think a lot of it comes down to just being willing to have that conversation and represent your team in that way if if yeah. i'm being completely honest yeah yeah no that's that's completely legit yeah. um and th so there's there's another side to this coin right there, you, you might have ownership of something, right? But the there's another aspect of burnout that ties into uh, isolation, right? You don't yeah. you don't you don't feel like you're connected to the rest of yeah. either your team, your organization, your whatever the the grander product is, right? Yeah. If if you become a subject matter expert or this features owner, you're going to be the one that works on it all the time. How right. how do you balance that with, you know, the feeling of isolation that I, you know, I, as an engineer, I want to go work on something else, but yeah. I'm always going to be pulled into this because I know it best. Like, how do you balance that? Yeah, I think so. Um, from, from just my own, uh, experiences doing stuff like this, you have to, you have to encourage people to also be able to teach that to others, you know? So it's not only, you're not only just owning the, 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 the software today and its, and its behavior, it's, um, it's uptime essentially, right? You're not right. only owning the uptime of it, you are also owning the, the organizational context around this. So that means things like writing documentation and knowledge sharing so that other people knows, know it exists and how to interact with it and all of that you also get to own that. And I know that that doesn't sound fun. You also get to own documentation. <laughs> Nobody likes hearing that. But you sort of have to you sort of have to educate people and show them that actually there's a way for you to write documentation, write run books, write different uh, maintenance things, tools mm -hmm. such that you don't have to be the one servicing it all the time. You can you can spend time. You can be the one making the argument that we need self help tools for the rest of the org to self serve, so that you don't end up having to be the one. That's mm -hmm. that's real ownership, right? It's not mm -hmm. just make sure it's running in prod. Hey, it's on fire, you know, dude who owns it. What the hell? It's not just that, right? 
being able to do that too is a, a very big sk skill to have. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, going back to uh, what makes uh, a good senior, being able to teach others and being able mm -hmm. to communicate what you know, right there, yeah. right there. Like honestly, that... th there's a couple of considerations there that that you know tend to be tends to only be seniors that actually bring that up. Operational uh, operational efficiency, like at at an org level. What happens if we go on vacation for a week type of questions? Like, yeah, that's those are real things that, that seniors will consider, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, this tech is really, really cool, but literally there's only one person in the entire company that knows how to manage that in AWS or whatever. That's <laughs> not a great choice, you know? Right, right. Having, having mitigation strategies in place for when yeah. you do disappear, right? Yeah. So funny story, uh, at, at a previous company that I worked for, uh, one of what my, my manager at the time, he, he just completely threw out a random number, but he, he had this idea of two and a half heads, <laughs> essentially owning something, right? Purely for that, that, that fact right there that you mentioned, yeah. someone, someone has the business context, the, the, the knowledge around it, the implementation details, everything. And, you know, he's one head. He or she is one head. That's, mm -hmm. that's one, right? But mitigation-wise, you need multiple people to know because if something does come up and that one person's gone, uh, someone can step in and resolve it, right? Yeah, exactly. That's where the other one and a half heads come in. The the next person is, not, while not as uh, contextually uh, up-to-date on it as, as the original person, but they know enough. They can jump in. They can do it just fine. Uh, the the half head that we're talking about here is someone that's in the process of learning, right? Ah, like, uh, yeah. It could be a junior engineer, it could be whatever. Just someone that can, while they may not know all of the details, they can step in and sort of walk through it on their own. Yeah. Uh, it might take them a while to get to it, but they understand enough to be able to navigate, right? Yeah. Um, and again, that's that's a completely arbitrary number, two and a half. Yeah. But. I, I think that very much speaks to what, what you said about being able to train other people mm -hmm. to learn about whatever it is that you're, you're working on. I really like that model. I really like that mental model <laughs> of just the idea that there's the, you have an expert and then you have people learning it, right? Mm -hmm. And it, I, I don't think I've ever really thought about things that way. But I think that that's a really cool way of ensuring that your your company doesn't get to that point where there's just software laying around and nobody knows how to <laughs> nobody knows what to do with it. <laughs> right, right. And and generally speaking, this is what teams generally are. Right. You have your lead who has the business context, who has the implementation details all figured out, and then you have your seniors, and then your mid level, and then your junior. Right. Mm -hmm. Generally, if generally. And you know the obviously the team structure can change depending on needs, but that that's what a team is supposed to be, right? They, yeah. they own this thing. Uh, you could lose one or two people, but the other one or two people can pick up and yeah. take it from there. Um, you know, and and without that support, you will yeah you will burn out, right? Yeah, because you're on call twenty four seven at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. You know, I it's it's one of those things that again, it's sort of the environment, right? That mm -hmm. you're you're working in. Everything might feel great, but just having to support everything and have it feeling like the world is on your back, you, you really can only do that for so long before before you're just done and tired. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, 
another thing that sort of snuck in there is lack of support is just the amount of people able to to be committed to working on something to meet a deadline right yeah. just in general if if you're being overworked because you have a deadline that you need to hit that's i think it goes without saying that's gonna kill yeah. you right I, th I think we have a, a term for it in in software engineering called the death march ah right? oh, the death march yeah <laughs> I, uh, I don't know how prevalent it is for more situated companies that aren't that are, that aren't chasing funding, mm. but I, I think for startups it, it tends to show up more often than not because it's like, yeah, we have to hit this deadline to meet investor goals or to meet a client uh, a contract to to get more money. Yeah, uh, but in order to do that, we need engineers to work those long freaking hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and you'll you'll generally see. At any any company that sort of runs these dead death marches like multiple times, you're, you're, you'll see turnover rates because it's just not sustainable, and people are just going to get so mad and yeah. angry that they're just going to up and leave. You know, I I think that that's such a big big piece of it, and and I I, I kind of want to call more attention to it. There's there's this general feeling that you don't you don't feel supported anymore. And that even if, so, so sometimes, you know, uh, being in the position itself, you know, the things that are wrong, right? But mm. when you, when you sort of lose hope that those things can actually improve or that if you were to even voice that anybody would even care or do something about it, I think that's probably one of the biggest signs that like, if you're not already burnt out, you're going to be very, very quickly here. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and here's here's the scary part that I've you know come to terms with as well in the I don't know the last five years is if you once you hit burnout, just changing to a different job doesn't remove that burnout. Yeah, you're, you're still gonna feel tired and drained, right? Yeah, and that makes it hard to really get back into the swing of things, especially if you jump from one fire to the next. Yeah, um, because. And I think you and I spoke about this off off the air at some point. Is is even even you know the added stress of having to interview while you're going, you know, through burnout. Yeah, is extremely tiring in itself. Yeah, but it's necessary if you want to get out of your current situation. Uh, but yeah, like interview burnout is a thing. Yeah, I I absolutely absolutely you know. I, I, I kind of want to just characterize it as like this cynicism that you get towards it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's funny coming from me because, you know, like I've said before, <laughs> I'm a huge cynic myself. Uh, when you honestly can't assume positive intent or you can't see positive intent in situations, I think that's another sign that you're, you're probably burning out on whatever it is that you're doing there, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's important to know that, like, you, you sort of hit on it too. There's, there's different types of burnout and they kind of have their own scopes you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so here's, here's the, the hard question. And, you know, I'll be the first to say there's no, no end all be all fix for all of it. Yeah. And, and I know, you know, part, part of the solution is like you mentioned, know thyself, right? Yeah. Once you hit burnout, how do you, how do you drag yourself out of it? Right? Like, how do you yeah. Put yourself in a good position again where you're you're excited to be back at work yeah i oh man i i mean i honestly i you're right i don't have the answer to this i don't think anybody really knows i think there's 
I, I sort of have just kind of turned to radically changing my environment, whatever it is. Like that's, that's how I've solved it for myself. And that's really the only way. Um, part of it is, is just yanking myself out of the situation, almost in a physical sense, you know, because it's like, I could think about all the little things that are contributing to this. And, and I understand that like, it's a progress, it's a work in progress to make those better. But I don't know if I have like the willingness to necessarily go through all of that, right? And even then, at the end of that journey, I don't know if that that environment is actually one that is, you know, the opposite of contributing to burnout, right? It might be great, and it might still be burning me out just slower, right? And that that's right. scary. That's that's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're just jumping from one pan to one pan that's on high over to a different pan that's on medium, right? Right. Um, so let's, let's, let's talk about some, some solutions that, you know, you might have tried to, to, to address burnout or mitigate it. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one thing I've seen a, a little bit, uh, in my last round of interviews is that companies are starting to have minimum PTO days where yeah. they will force you to turn off your computer and just go. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I have mixed feelings around that. Uh, in, in the sense that if, if it gets to the point where you're forcing your employees to take time off, maybe, maybe we should be addressing the other underlying causes that that's pushing people to that point. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's similar to, to, you know, a company recognizing that their employees are having burnout. And so they're, they're going to give you a free day of PTO or a free week of PTO, right? Like, like. It yeah. doesn't help because you're you're just jumping straight back into the fire the moment you're back and yeah. your deadlines haven't changed. <laughs> there, there's a lot culturally about that that is is sort of like a band-aid and and not really fixing the underlying issue, right? There's the mm -hmm. question of like why why are people uh pushing themselves or uh, putting themselves in positions that continually drain them? And then the the two is like if you have to force somebody to do that, why aren't they doing it normally, you know? Right, right, right. And, you know, again, know thyself. Some folks are workaholics, and it's they, they might thrive on just the stress. I don't know. Yeah. That seems, that seems strange to me because I hate feeling that way. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, the, the, those personalities exist. And I think, I think, you know, again, going back to underlying causes for, for everyone else, uh, you know, like, how, how do you, first off, first off, whose responsibility is it to identify these underlying issues, right? I, ooh, I don't know. I, it's my gut answer to that, like, would just be that I, I think at the end of the day, the buck stops with you, just period. Mm -hmm. That's just like a life philosophy I have. <laughs> but, um, so I think like, yeah, ultimately you have to, but it really, really helps. I'm not going to lie. It really, really helps having good friends, good coworkers, people that you really can trust who honestly come up to you and be like, yo, is everything going okay? Like you seem a little off, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I've really, really appreciated having people in my own life, in career and all of that who were willing to do that. You know, right. they're like, hey, dude, you kind of look like shit today. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe you're onto something. Maybe you're picking up on something that I'm just too numb to feel or not numb, but like, 
it's like adrenaline, you know? You could have some broken bones, but like if you're if you're just if your body's just pumping adrenaline, you don't feel it and you just go. Or it's just so normalized at this point that you're, yeah. you gave up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just normalized and and you you don't even feel it necessarily. You're not aware of it. Or or you're feeling great and this guy is just a jerk for saying you look terrible. <laughs> <laughs> There's always that chance. There's always that. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I I I agree that, you know, you have to take responsibility for your for your own burnout. And I, I think to some extent, you have to bring it up to whoever your manager is to say, hey, like this, this is a problem. Let's yes. let's figure out how we can address it. Right. And with a good manager, they'll work with you to sort of tease out exactly what's what's what the underlying cause is, because sometimes you may not know what's causing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with that, though, you, you do need to trust that your manager is going to be doing something for you, right? Yeah. Um, and one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years is that sometimes the manager doesn't have power to do the, to make the necessary changes to, to make it easy for you or not yeah. make it easy for you. That's the completely wrong phrasing to, to make changes in order to address these issues. Is, yeah. That's what I wanted to say. At the end of the day. Yeah. Your manager doesn't really have all the power in the world, you know, but you know, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, a zero sum game either, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a, a completely lost situation either. If you tell your manager and they're at least aware of it, even in the most pessimistic view, uh, in the, even in the most cynical view, now when they see, you know, you're struggling on something or, or you're dropping the ball on something, they're at least going to think, okay, I know that they're they're burning out, they're really stressed out, or they're they're just, you know, they're they're experiencing a high level of burnout right now. It's mm -hmm. not them. It's not the quality of their work. It's not a performance issue, you know. Right, right. And yeah, again, it, it it would take a good manager to recognize those things and not put it on you, right? Right. Um, and I think one one thing to recognize is that sometimes you might you might know exactly what what's causing you to have a lot of bad days you might feel like your your career is stagnating right yeah how to and and you, you could tell that to your your manager they may not have a solution but to some extent you could then start working on potential solutions yourself right right um and then even presenting those to your manager because who knows maybe this addresses other problems that other engineers are facing too yeah i don't know yeah, so I, I I just want to throw a, a very um, quick example out there, and and it, it's kind of a double whammy because like there's a lot I know there's a lot of engineers out there who want to work towards a promotion like literally their thing is I want to be a senior engineer by the end of the year I want to get that promotion or mid level engineer mm -hmm. whatever it is right, and they just don't know how to say that right they don't know how to go to their boss and say hey I want to be a senior engineer at the end of the year. There's like phrasing it from the 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 direction of burnout is an excellent way to make your manager aware of that be like hey boss manager dude i really care about my career and i've been thinking about it a lot and i want to have a solid sense of progression there right mm -hmm. i want to see myself progress in my career like a, a, man, a even a halfway decent manager will hear that and be like oh okay well do you want to work towards like a promotion then something like that right and they'll you're at least making them aware of it and 
Because, like, most people will want to address that, right? They will want to address your sense of burnout. Right. Right. And so <laughs> this is going to take us off on a tangent, but <laughs> going back to a previous episode around around roles, we had we talked about senior positions and then staff and principal engineers. To some extent, there's an underlying uh, train of thought I don't know if I've subscribed to it, but I know it's out there that those different levels of engineering are just purely for helping people feel like they're progressing. Right. Like, yeah, there's for some companies, there's not a clear delineation between those roles aside from uh, plus two years. Yeah. Of, of real, real life experience. Right. Um, and so it's, it's, I'm going to call it a placebo. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but anyways, that's complete off tangent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. You know, it, I think it's an unfortunate reality of our industry where that's just a thing, right? Like, why do they have, like, I mean, some companies use numbers, right? Why do they have software engineer one, two, three, all the way up to like seven, right. eight, nine, right? <laughs> and and like some companies are even crazier than that. They have, uh, I believe they have like levels and then they also have associate, mid and senior for each of those levels, right? Oh man. <laughs> like you can be an associate staff engineer and or a senior staff engineer or an associate principal engineer. And like, it's just crazy, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, yeah, the, that's, that's why the conversation of like titles and positions and everything like that are, is so nuanced. It's really there's so much of like your own personal sense of progression and, mm -hmm. and career development wrapped up into the company's own perspectives. It's yeah. Bigger conversation for a different day. <laughs> right. 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 But you know, going, going back a little bit to communicating your needs to your manager, um, that in itself can be extremely scary. Right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, com communicating needs in general is hard for a lot of people, myself included. Yeah, it was it was hard for me to say, "Hey, I'd like to become a manager," you know, because yeah, you know, tying that back to imposter syndrome, I don't know what it takes to be a manager. I don't, <laughs> right? But but because I have this skewed perception of what progression looks like, um, I didn't realize that you know I could stick to technical roles, but you know, uh, there, there I could. Management was the next next thing in line, right? Um, and you know, I I needed for myself needed a sense of progression in my career yeah. to to avoid burnout. And you know, just asking for it started just it, it, it opened up the conversation, right? Yeah. And on my annual review, there was goals to set me up for management. Yeah. Um, and that that made me feel good for a while. Crazy, right? Yeah. Um. But you know, there's there's uh, there's other other things that could lead to burnout, like uh, you know that 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 you know tied to stagnation beyond just right. role change, title change, whatever. It could be I want to learn something new, right, right. Continued education, even. Yeah. Um, and part of that is you know what's what's something that the company might be facing down in three six months that you could start looking into now, right? Right. Scaling problems. Uh, I don't know. New frontiers. Right. Can you name, right. Yeah. Can you like, name anything else? Yeah. You know, uh, there's, there's plenty of that. And typically um, in, a, in a product company, there's no shortage of that, right? 
There's mm-hmm. everything that the company does today that needs to be more efficient. That will always be a thing. It needs to be more efficient, either in cost, time, or operational efficiency, right? It just needs more of that. Every company always needs that. And then there's all the new products that, that are the new directions that the product should go, right? There mm-hmm. are There's constantly a need for some group. The unfortunate side is, quite honestly, that group might not be as large and might not be able to accommodate an extra person, but companies do need that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot. There's there's sussing out, uh, sussing out, you know, new requirements for uh, for regulatory stuff, right? Regulatory or security or data uh, data management and privacy, like that's a no company has perfect infrastructure. That's mm-hmm. another one of those angles that can continually evolve, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's uh, it comes down again. It's, it stops at you. Figure out you know what you want to do, right? Yeah. Um, and something I've noticed from my last few companies that seems to be trending is the the idea of quarterly or or biannual is that the right word twice yeah, twice, twice a year, year? twice yeah. a year biannual just team get-togethers right where you yeah get together sit down and plan some some stuff right um, and. At, at my current company where we, we take some of that time and use it for quote unquote innovation time where we can go work on something that uh, might might improve some part of our, our product or our processes, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the projects that came out of that was our own little pointing poker <laughs> oh, tool. Oh, nice. This is pretty cool. It, it ties into Jira. It, it marks timestamps in whatever video recording that we're recording uh, so people can just scrub through the video it's small things like that too go a long way in in mitigating burnout i think there's a very small nuance to that too where uh you know for for companies on bleeding edge technologies and wanting to stay on top of version changes your innovation time should not be devoted to just basic software maintenance right 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 (laughs) I, I think there's there's a lot of, you know, let's we've defined a time to do something. Let's focus on that. Don't don't let it change into anything else. Right. Um, there, and and again, like actually protecting that, like protecting it. I really do mean that word. Uh, it can be very very tricky. Right. That's that's mm-hmm. another one of those little subtle like, uh, maybe it's subtle, maybe it's not to to whoever is listening, but like. That's that's one of those things that you have to do as a manager, and you have to watch for that, right? Nobody is intending to encroach on that, but it's very, very easy for it to become that, right? Like, right. oh my God, we realized there's an end of life coming up for some core piece of software that we use, and there's no other time to to rev that except ten percent mm-hmm. time, you know? Mm-hmm. Happens. Like, hey, all can I the time. can I ask you a question real yeah. quick? Yeah, happens all the time oh yeah yeah. overall uh i think this conversation of burnout is i i sort of started to think about it as we were just talking and the element that that really stuck out to me is just like working professionally is a very awkward uh activity it's a very human awkward activity you're doing a lot of things that aren't normal to just your your natural living, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we we're not uh, like as humans, we we don't 
multitask very, very well, right? We don't stay, uh, we don't, our interests don't stay stagnant over an extended amount of time. We continue to learn and grow and all of those things. In a sense, I feel like burnout is really the lack of like humaniz- humanizing within mm-hmm. the role, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the more elements that you can recognize that you need personally and that your job can provide, the longer you can sort of stave that off, right? Right, right. And so so this is going to take us in a slightly different direction. I'm, I'm all about branching into different directions today. Um, no, so there's, there's a statistic out there that says the average tenure of a software engineer is, at any company is about two years. Yeah. Do you think that ties directly into what we're talking today, talking about today, burnout? I think that, I think that it is not a tech specific thing. Uh, well, okay. Um, it is tech specific in that that's the only place that you find that statistic valid. But I think that the tech industry is more open to realizing that that's actually who we are deep down. I think honestly, every industry probably experiences burnout at the same rate. And then, you know, that's maybe around the two year mark. It's just people are far less willing to to just jump jobs at that uh, in those other industries, right? Right. So I guess to answer your question, yeah, I think so. I think that's about what it is for 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 humans. I I think you know you you bring up other industries, and I I think tech is probably an outlier to how most industries respond to burnout. Right? Like there are so many startups, yeah, <laughs> in our 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 space that it it is easy to just go and get another, no, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's possible to just go and get another yeah. job. Yeah. Right. You can't do that as like a teacher. You can't do that as a nurse. You can't do that as a doctor. Right. Like, right. Our market changes so much and we're responding to every other market out there. Like tech is needed everywhere right. at this point. And there's, there's always going to be a job out there. That, that makes it enticing for us to just go. Yeah. Right. That, and when we hit burnout, when we hit that level of uncomfortability where we're at, th- there's nothing holding us back. It's, it's right. not like, it's not like, oh, I have to stay here because uh, it might take me six months to, to get another job. Like there's no job listings for, for, uh, I don't know, a teacher right now. Right. 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 Uh, like it, it like, where, near where I live. Right. Yeah. I think our our industry has that unique trait to it. Yeah. And that allows us to sort of dictate what we're willing to take on the job. Yeah. And I think that that's actually pretty cool. You know, I, I think for there was a time where I felt like, oh, wow, we're we're just spoiled, you know, and I still <laughs> make that joke a lot. I still make the, the joke that like the tech industry is incredibly spoiled because it is compared to compared to like we said every other industry out there we have a lot of of privilege quite honestly oh yeah um but but that's it you know and i think that it's not a bad thing i say it's not a bad thing because i think that that's that's who we really are mm-hmm. at the end of the day you know and and it's it's unfortunate that other industries aren't able to 
accommodate that the same way right. that tech does. Cool, folks. Well, I think that that's our episode for today. Uh, thank you all for listening. And yeah, anything else? Uh, wait, Steph. <laughs> don't forget to tip them. <laughs> I, I had to add a little twist to it. I don't, I don't want it to get old. Yeah, there we go. 